Welcome back. Hour three of Tony Cast today starts right now. My name is Cam Edwards, editor at BarryAndArms.com, host of the Barrying Arms Cam and Company podcast. Taking your phone calls at 833-GOT-TONY. We've got some uh, breaking news out of Washington, D.C., where two Capitol Police officers uh, injured one of them, uh, at least one of them, apparently uh, fairly seriously, when a car uh, rammed into a barrier on Independence Avenue. This is on the uh, the north side of the Capitol complex. Uh, this happened uh, about one o'clock this afternoon. An alert sent out on Friday advised people that there was a, quote, external security threat and that entry and exit to the Capitol campus buildings was prohibited. Uh, people were advised to uh, uh, stay inside, but away from doors and windows. Those who were outside in the Capitol grounds uh, were advised to seek shelter. Uh, Newsweek reporting that the Washington, D.C. Fire Department confirmed that they responded to reports of a shooting with at least one victim. Uh, right now, it appears that the the only shooting was done by responding officers and that the suspect uh, was the individual who was shot. But again, you've got two officers who were apparently injured uh, when this car, which looks to be a, a dark blue sedan, uh, a, a crashed into a cement barricade on uh, Independence Avenue. We have uh, no report right now of the condition uh, of these officers. We uh, do not know uh, anything at all about the uh, suspect other than that they are in custody and that uh, they were injured. Uh, Congress is not in session today, by the way. Uh, so the, the senator's representatives not there. They're obviously staffers who are still working in the Capitol complex. There are reporters. There are the uh, employees of the, uh, the the U.S. Capitol, you know, the the maintenance workers, the uh, 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 the, the staff there that uh, helps keep the facility uh, up and running. So it's not like the uh, Capitol was was empty today, even if uh, Congress is not in session. Uh, according to USA Today, the uh, gated entrance where this occurred, one of uh, several that allow access to the U.S. Capitol is primarily used by senators and staff. Uh, there were uh, two layers of eight-foot fences topped with barbed wire erected in the aftermath of the uh, January 6th storming of the Capitol. Uh, but the outer fence was taken down late last month, which uh, they say allowed pedestrians and vehicles closer access to the Capitol, including the area where this particular incident took place. So we will keep our eyes on this uh, breaking news story and bring you more information over the course of the next hour or so. Uh, but again, what we know right now, two Capitol Police officers injured when a car rammed into this concrete barricade. The suspect shot by officers uh, and is in custody, but we don't know the conditions of either the two officers or the suspect uh, that was taken into custody. No motivation uh, at this point either. Uh, in fact, uh, we don't even have the identity of the suspect. So if we do learn more details uh, in the uh, course of the next hour, we will certainly bring those to you. Uh, we are continuing uh, over the course of the next hour as well to talk about uh, some of the other big stories of the day. Uh, and, and, and I think one of the ongoing themes uh, of the Biden administration and of the left right now, which is to crack down uh, as much as they can on our individual freedoms. Uh, at BarryAndArms.com, my day job, I, I tend to focus on those crackdowns that are aimed at our right to keep and bear arms, of which there are many, uh, both at the federal level 
the uh, state level and even the local level as well. But it's not just our Second Amendment rights that the left has a problem with. They have a problem with our First Amendment rights as well. New York Times uh, opinion writer Timothy Egan with a column today. I used to think the remedy for bad speech was more speech. Not anymore, he says. <laughs> Which is another way of saying, I think we need to crack down on free speech, isn't it? He says, the idea that the remedy for bad speech is more speech just seems archaic now. Quote, just as the founders never envisioned how the right of a well-regulated militia to own slow-loading muskets could apply to mass murderers with bullet-spewing military-style semi-automatic rifles, they could not have foreseen speech so twisted to malevolent intent as it is today. Well, let's, let's dissect that for just a second, shall we? First of all, the founders did not envision that the right to keep and bear arms was solely related to service in a militia. Nor did the founding fathers only know about, uh, quote, slow-loading muskets. The founding fathers were well aware of uh, firearms like the uh, Girondi air rifle, which was a multi-shot repeating rifle that, that existed at the time of the founding of this nation. When it comes to free speech, the idea that the founding fathers could not have foreseen speech so twisted to malevolent intent as it is now is utterly and absolutely absurd. It's absurd, and it ignores American history, the good and the bad of American history. Because not only did we see you know, the First Amendment, our, our, our right to free speech and the freedom of the press enshrined in the Bill of Rights, but shortly thereafterwards, we saw one of the greatest abuses of our First Amendment freedoms when Congress approved the Alien and Sedition Acts under President John Adams, which allowed for the government to prosecute and imprison publishers and journalists who dared speak ill of the government. Yeah. Again, under the uh, that was sedition. Uh, now, that law was in effect for only a few years before it was repealed. But during the time that it was in effect, we saw journalists actually put in prison because they wrote things that the federal government didn't like. And there was such outrage over that. That it ultimately led to the law being repealed when uh, Thomas Jefferson was elected president. But the election of 1800 in which Adams and Thomas Jefferson squared off, featured an awful lot of speech that had malevolent intent behind it on both sides. You had supporters of John Adams who, uh, uh, you know, said all kinds of scurrilous things about Thomas Jefferson, his relationships with Sally Hemings, uh, his uh, belief in the Jacobinism, uh, going back to the French Revolution. Uh, you know, basically tying Thomas Jefferson to the idea of you like Jefferson, you're going to get guillotines, right? Meanwhile, Jefferson partisans were writing op-eds declaring that uh, John Adams was going to overthrow the republic and establish a monarchy 
with him and his sons as the, the, the new kings of the United States of America. And we didn't have fact checkers back then. We didn't have the ability to go online and to look up competing points of view and compare and contrast what people were saying. No, if you were an American in, you know, 1791 or 1800 or 1812 or 1815, you had access to papers and you had access to what people were saying. And if you were lucky, if you lived, if you were one of the few Americans at the time who lived in cities, you might have access to more than one paper. You might be able to buy a, a paper that was published by a, uh, a, a, a Federalist partisan. Uh, and if you wanted to get a competing point of view, then you could go and you could buy a paper that was published by a, a Democrat Republican. But if you lived like most Americans did at the time in rural America, you were lucky if you could get a hold of a, a paper that contained relatively recent news and it would be passed around and shared among family and friends and your neighbors. And, and that's how you learn things. And again, the one time early on in the Republic where politicians said, oh, this is horrible. We got to do something about it. The effects of trying to crack down on free speech was actually worse than the effects of the free speech itself. But Egan doesn't know or doesn't care about that history. He says cyber libertarianism, the ethos of the Internet with roots in 18th century debate about the free market of ideas has failed us miserably. So what is the opposite of libertarianism? It's authoritarianism. And when Egan says that cyber libertarianism has failed us miserably, what he wants to see replace it is cyber authoritarianism. He says, just recently we saw the malignancies of our premier freedoms on display in the mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado. At the center of the horror was a deeply disturbed man with a gun created for war, he says, that which is, again, a a lie. It's ironic, by the way, that uh, in a column about uh, the dangers of misinformation, Timothy Egan spread so much of it. He says, within hours of the slaughter at the supermarket, a Facebook account with about 60,000 followers wrote that the shooting was fake, a so-called false flag meant to cast blame on the wrong person. So it goes, he says, toxic misinformation like AR-15 style weapons in the hands of men bent on murder is just supposed to, it's just something we're supposed to live with in a free society, he writes. Well, here's the thing, Tim. If you want to try to curtail toxic information by restricting the, the ability for us to speak freely, inevitably, you're not just going to curtail the spread of misinformation. You're going to curtail the spread of information that you find unpopular and inconvenient and not helpful to your cause. You're also going to create a, a, a black market for those ideas. Uh, just as gun control and a ban on commonly owned centerfire modern sporting rifles, of which there are more than 20 million 
in this country in the hands of legal gun owners, trying to ban those guns would not get rid of those guns. Instead, it would create a flourishing black market for those firearms. What happened when we tried to ban alcohol? Did all of a sudden every American in the country decide they they were going to become teetotalers? No. In fact, (laughs) you had Americans who had never before taken a drink who decided this is actually kind of fun. Because while the saloons closed down, the speakeasies opened up. And the desire and the demand for alcohol didn't disappear just because it was banned. The desire to speak our mind, the desire to speak freely, does not exist because of the First Amendment. The First Amendment exists because of our desire and the demand to speak freely. Even in the Soviet Union, in which there was no freedom of speech, You had ideas that were communicated person to person. There was no no big uh, anti-Soviet newspaper in the Soviet Union. That didn't exist. The government would have come and shut it down. They would have hauled off the editors and the reporters and sent them to the gulag if they didn't shoot them in the back of the head. What you did have was something called Samizdat. And Samizdat was unauthorized speech. It was the black market of speech. These were columns. These were editorials. These were essays. These were books in some cases that were written down, not on a printing press generally. Sometimes you'd you'd find, you know, typewritten copies. Sometimes it would be handwritten scrawls. And they would be passed around from person to person. You didn't. You didn't let the government know that you had Samizdat materials because it was illegal for you to possess them. But it didn't stop Samizdat. It didn't stop those ideas from spreading and taking flower and taking root. Because again, a government crackdown on something that is so fundamental to us as human beings, not as Americans or as Soviets, but as human beings will not disappear just because a government says you can't have it. We're not going to let you say that. We're not going to let you think that. We're not going to let you own that. The government can say these things, but history has shown us that the response from a people with freedom in their hearts, even if not freedom within the law, is frankly... Uh, to put it kind of crudely, a gigantic middle finger to authority. And the establishment of underground marketplaces, in some cases, the underground marketplace of ideas, in some cases, the underground marketplace of illicitly produced alcohol and illicitly consumed alcohol, in some cases, the underground marketplace of firearms that the government says you're not allowed to own. So it's a bad idea. It's an obviously bad idea that Timothy Egan is putting forth here that has time to restrict our freedom of speech because people are saying things that are false. People are saying things that are, are in fact, are so false that they're damaging. So in, in order to prevent that from happening, we have to stop people from speaking any unapproved thoughts 
But as bad as an idea it is, it is also a very popular idea on the left right now, which is, again, one of the reasons why I will not use the word liberal to describe the left today, because they are anything but liberal. They, a, a, a liberal is somebody who believes in an open society. This is a very illiberal left that we have in the United States. This is not the let your freak flag fly left of the 1960s. This is the march in lockstep or you will be punished left that we saw in the Communist Party of the United States of America in the 1930s and which we still see in authoritarian regimes today from Communist China to Putin's Russia to the military-run country of Myanmar right now where they've actually shut off access to the internet. That's the latest step that the military junta has taken in Myanmar to try to prevent pro-democracy activists from learning about what's going on in their own country and from speaking to the rest of the world about the injustices and the slaughter of civilians that are taking place. And whether Tim Egan likes it or not, he's siding with those authoritarians. He's siding with those despots. He may believe he's doing so for all the right reasons, but he's embracing all the wrong ideas. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. We have much more of Tony Cast today coming up right after this. Stick around. We will be back right after this message. Tony Cast today. Cam Edwards behind the microphone here. Uh, more breaking news out of uh, D.C. Looks like the uh, suspect may have been armed with a knife who uh, rammed these two Capitol Police officers. We're going to have the latest details after the break. We've got uh, much more of the day's top news as well. So stick around. Hour three of Tony Cast today continues right after this. Tony Katz today, Cam Edwards, host of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, which you can find on Rumble, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Also the editor at BearingArms.com, where we have just posted a story uh, about the uh, incident at the U.S. Capitol that put the Capitol complex on lockdown this afternoon. Uh, A suspect in a blue car apparently ramming into a concrete barricade on the uh, north side of the Capitol complex. Uh, striking two Capitol Police officers. There are reports that uh, one of those officers was airlifted from the scene. The uh, Capitol, again, locked down. Uh, Now, Congress is in recess at the moment, so there were no uh, members of Congress uh, uh, there on Capitol Hill, but obviously still folks working uh, in offices and in the Capitol complex. Uh, According to uh, two law enforcement officials who spoke to the Associated Press, uh, the suspect who rammed those officers, quote, appeared to have a knife and was shot by police. Uh, The officials could not discuss an ongoing investigation. They spoke to the Associated Press on the condition of anonymity. The officials uh, said that the suspect was, quote, critically wounded uh, and was taken into custody. So the the initial reports that we received was that the Capitol complex was on lockdown, that there had been shots fired. It appears as if those shots uh, and the only shots fired uh, were shots by responding officers striking that suspect. Uh, It does not, uh, we've heard no word that the suspect actually uh, uh, used a knife. Right now, it looks like uh, the vehicle was the only weapon 
that was used uh, in this incident. We also uh, do not have any details about the suspect at this moment, don't have a name, uh, don't have any potential motivation that has been uh, discussed, uh, but uh, we are continuing to follow the latest uh, information there uh, out of Capitol Hill and uh, we'll report on any more details uh, as they become available. You know, the National Guard is still in place uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, months after they were uh, brought to the Capitol in the wake of the uh, the storming of the Capitol back on uh, January the 6th. Some of the barricades that have been in place around the Capitol have started to, to, to come down uh, in recent weeks. I was actually in Washington, D.C. probably about three weeks ago. I try to stay away from D.C. as much as I can, uh, just generally speaking, even when I lived in Northern Virginia in the D.C. suburbs, rarely did I go into the Capitol area. It's just not I just I, I don't like Washington, D.C. Uh, I did not have a D.C. concealed carry license. I I don't like the lack of freedom there. So I, I generally try to stay away from D.C. as much as possible. But the last time that I was there, uh, I uh, didn't get didn't venture too close to the Capitol. Uh, and in most of the city, you know, it's, it's business is, well, not business as usual. Actually, a lot of businesses have closed down as a result of the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the city itself has actually really gotten run down. Uh, over the past year, and I would say starting with the the riots and the unrest that we saw in Washington, D.C., and really the the half-hearted response uh, on the part of local officials in addressing these issues. You know, we talk about like broken window police and you go after the sort of low level offenses to try to prevent the the larger level offenses. That didn't happen in Washington, D.C. So graffiti is much more present uh, than it was even just a couple of years ago. And not just on the sides of buildings, but uh, uh, street signs, you know, big signs up on like the, uh, the expressway uh, and the uh, western side of Washington, D.C. It's actually hard to read what exit it is you're looking for because some of these uh, signs have been so defaced with graffiti, a lot of boarded up windows, a lot of shuttered businesses. Uh, it is, D.C. Is, it, it was never the most inviting place for a uh, conservatarian like myself, but it, it has become uh, a much different city over the past uh, six months to a year. And I suspect that, uh, that this is going to lead to another round of calls uh, of, to you know keep the National Guard in place, to uh, keep the barriers up, to keep Capitol Hill as sort of a, a, a walled fortress um, now, the uh, Capitol Police did hold a briefing a, a short time ago talking about the attack. I'm going to see if I can get some uh, additional information uh, about the, uh, the, quote, external security threat there on Capitol Hill. And we'll try to uh, bring that to you in uh, just a couple of minutes. But the, uh, before we take a, another time out, I uh, also want to let you know about a, a, another incident. This one... In Orange County, California, you know, we had this shooting uh, a couple of nights ago where uh, five people were shot, four of them fatally, including a nine-year-old who died in his mother's arms after he was shot by the suspect. Apparently, the suspect co-workers with the adults who were shot uh, at a, uh, a real estate uh, a company that uh, focused on uh, mobile homes. And we're learning now, not only did the suspect 
actually know the victims here, but there was apparently some planning that that went into this attack. When officers arrived, they found the gates to this uh, office complex had been locked from the inside. The suspect had apparently used like bicycle cable locks to close these gates and prevent officers from quickly responding as he sort of, you know, strolled through this complex, taking aim at his co-workers there. Uh, No official motivation has uh, been released in that attack. We do know that the suspect was actually charged with a variety of offenses back in 2015, four counts of misdemeanor assault, child endangerment, battery. He, uh, as is the case in, in, in most criminal incidents in our criminal justice system, he did not go to trial, uh, but instead was allowed to plead guilty to a single count of battery. So it does not appear as if the individual uh, in the orange shooting was a prohibited person. Uh, it is also clear that the many, many gun control laws that are in place in California, including a 10-day waiting period for the purchase of handguns, a ban on ammunition magazines that can hold more than 10 rounds, background checks required on every transfer of a firearm, background checks required on every purchase of ammunition in the state of California, and a May issue uh, system for concealed carry licensing in which police can deny someone a concealed carry license for any reason or no reason whatsoever. None of the laws that were in place in California prevented that attack from taking place. You know, we spoke uh, in hour one with Ryan Petty, whose daughter Elena was murdered at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida in 2018 about why gun control isn't the answer to preventing these types of attacks. And the orange shooting, I think, is a perfect example of you can try to regulate and ban your way to safety, but but you won't do that. Uh, Ryan was 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 very adamant about the idea that that casting a wide net over everybody in the hopes of stopping these these rare individuals who desire to inflict harm on large numbers of people. Why that's such a bad idea? Because we have a finite amount of law enforcement resources. We have a finite amount of prosecutorial resources. And when we cast that wide net, we end up ensnaring a lot of people who aren't a problem, who are never going to commit an act of violence. And we tend to ignore what really does work, which according to this new Secret Service report that uh, came out earlier this week, the, the most effective thing that, that we can do to try to stop these types of attacks is to be aware of individuals when they flash us those warning signs. You know, in the case of targeted school attacks, of these 68 events that were prevented that the Secret Service looked at, involved individuals who had said something. But in the 25 attacks that were successfully carried out, 
The vast majority of those attackers had said something beforehand as well. They had explicitly said something on social media. They had said something to a student or to one of their friends or to a family member. And in those cases, as Ryan said, uh, in the case of the shooting in Parkland, Florida, the killer did let people know what his plans were. He, he talked about it on YouTube. There were reports to police. There, were, there was a call to the FBI three days before that shooting took place in Parkland, Florida. But there were failures of communication between law enforcement agencies. And there was a failure to act on the part of the school district in the months and even in the years before that attack took place. So I'm very curious to see what information comes out about the suspect in Orange, California, as to whether or not there were any sort of uh, warnings beforehand, whether there were sorts of any uh, communications before that attack took place that were either ignored or were not followed up by the proper authorities. All right, we're going to step away for a moment or two, but uh, when we come back here on Tony Cast today, we will have more on the uh, incident in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Capitol locked down after a, a vehicle rammed into two officers uh, who were standing guard on the north side of the Capitol complex, uh, ramming into a cement barricade. The suspect uh, is now reported dead, according to Yahoo News, but we'll have more details for you after this quick timeout. Stick around. There's more Tony Cast today coming up next. Tony Katz today, Cam Edwards, editor at BearingArms.com, sending in for Tony, and I appreciate the invite, Mr. Katz. 833-GOT-TONY, that's the number to call. The uh, latest on the incident at the U.S. Capitol this afternoon, the Associated Press reporting uh, on the word of uh, two anonymous law enforcement officers that the suspect who rammed a vehicle into uh, two Capitol Police officers has died as a result of the uh, injuries that he suffered when he was shot uh, by officers there on the scene. The Associated Press had reported uh, as well that uh, law enforcement officers said it appeared uh, as if the uh, suspect had a knife. We uh, have no word if that was the case, but we do know that uh, the suspect rammed that vehicle into a concrete barricade, uh, injuring two officers. One of those officers reported to be in serious condition at the moment, uh, likely the officer that was uh, airlifted to a local facility. No word on the condition of the other Capitol Police officer who was injured in that attack, but uh, I know that uh, they are in your thoughts and your prayers, and uh, that is what we know. Again, uh, with the suspect reported dead now, it is going to be a little bit more of a challenge to find out what might have been the the motivation uh, behind this attack, uh, but uh, we should be learning more uh, about this suspect here in the uh, hours and the uh, days ahead. Uh, meanwhile, we are already believe it or not, uh, getting ready to to hit the midterm election cycle in earnest. The first fundraising deadline uh, coming this week for the midterm elections and Politico reporting that several vulnerable House Democrats got an unwelcome surprise in their campaign accounts, a $5,000 gift from AOC. <laughs> yeah. The New York Democrats sending contributions to her colleagues 
without directly contributing to the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, with which she has publicly clashed political reports. Uh, but Ocasio-Cortez's largesse and an oversight at campaign headquarters has instead raised awkward questions among her colleagues as some swing district Democrats fret over whether to return her money before the GOP can turn it into an attack ad. Some members who campaigns got uh, unexpected AOC cash are seeking answers directly from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee uh, and its chair, Representative Sean Maloney of New York and his top staffers. The uh, aides apparently gave lawmakers wire transfer information to aides to AOC without the approval of more senior officials, according to multiple people familiar with the contributions. Uh, At least three Democrats, according to multiple sources, have so far either declined the initial campaign contribution or said that they would return the money. Uh, That would uh, be right now uh, Representative Connor Lamb of Michigan, uh, Carolyn Bordeaux of Georgia, and Alyssa Slotkin a uh, Democrat representative from the state of Michigan. Politico reports that uh, several people involved with the episode described it as a, quote, unforced error by the DCCC with the staff of its campaign arm failing to anticipate the political ramifications of putting their party's most polarizing figure on the donor rolls of vulnerable members known as frontliners. The staff failed to anticipate this, really? I mean, listen... If if you're helping to um, get Democrats elected in swing districts and you're so stupid that you don't realize that AOC is a toxic brand outside of the most far left districts in the country, you have no business in politics. Uh, I, you know, it wasn't too long ago. One of the uh, the first meetings of House Democrats after the November elections, Abigail Spanberger, who is one of those vulnerable Democrats, she uh, represents Virginia's seventh congressional district. She's on this conference call, and she says, "Listen, we can't keep talking about socialism. Every time you say the word socialism, it makes it harder for people like me." To, to win elections because my constituents don't like socialism. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear this stuff. Uh, and AOC, of course, uh, responded with, well, you know, we got to make sure that uh, we're, we're, you know, we're making progress here. We're fighting for the people. So there is this infighting uh, within the Democrat Party about how far left, at least to publicly portray themselves. Uh, and in this case, <laughs> AOC putting her uh, her money into the uh, campaign coffers of some of the most vulnerable incumbents in the Democratic Party, I guess with the expectation that they were just going to turn around and thank her and and say, wow, I, I, you know, maybe come out, come out and do a fundraiser with me. That, that's not going to happen. But I, I, I have to say, I mean, I love to see the the, quote, unforced errors uh, on the part of Democrats, we we need more of them. Uh, by the way, the the campaign ads they're going to be cut regardless of whether or not Democrats keep the money or return the money. The campaign ads from the GOP they're coming. AOC loves Connor Lamb, whether he wants you to know it or not. 
All right, that music means, unfortunately, that we are out of time. Thank you so much for being a part of Tony Katz today. Again, my name is Cam Edwards. You can find me on Twitter, at Cam Edwards. You can find me online at BearingArms.com. Have a wonderful Easter weekend. And Tony Katz will be with you again very soon.